0: Hi, everyone. Laszlo Montgomery here again with another China History Podcast. We're back to ancient days again after loitering in the 20th century, the past eight weeks. So far in this year of the dragon, we've only produced five podcasts from the olden days. There was the Ouyang Xiu episode just before the Spring Festival, the Silk Road series, and that short one on Guanyu. Everything else has been sort of 19th century to present day. The character for Yu, Guan Yu, is the same exact character of the name of today's China History Podcast topic. This one is Xiang Yu, that third tone, Yu, meaning feather. Guan Yu, the god of war and many other things, and Xiang Yu, who fought Liu Bang between the years 206 and 202 BC, and to the victor went the legacy of Qin Shi Huang, who had unified China a mere 15 years before Xiang Yu and Liu Bang are trying to annihilate each other. Qin Shi Huang in 206 BC had been dead for four years. The China History podcast from June 2010 featured Qin Shi Huang. That was my first podcast, and back then I was trying to keep each episode at around 10 to 15 minutes each. So the Qin Dynasty podcast was sort of a cliff notes of an overview of a summary. So today we're going to go back to the Qin, to the end of the dynasty, and we'll look at two well-known personages from this time period. These are, of course, Xiang Yu and his rival, Liu Bang. The first is the topic of today's podcast, Xiang Yu. And the other, of course, is the more well-known Liu Bang, who went on to found the Han dynasty and reigned as Han Tzu. So let's set this up before Qin Shi Huang went and unified everything in 221 BC you had the warring states period that was contained inside the eastern Zhou dynasty this is mid 5th century BC until Qin Shi Huang reigned supreme in all of China and China in 221 BC was not as big geographically and vast as it is today it was it was big stretching from Liaoning to Sichuan but It sort of ended once you hit the mighty Yangtze. South of there, that hadn't yet been incorporated into China proper, which had been born along the Yellow River and the other great rivers of the north. But it was a mighty conquest. One by one, the King Ying Zheng of the state of Qin defeated these seven remaining warring states, and in 221 BC, after the last one bites the dust, he declares himself Qin Shi Huang the first emperor. His story is well known by all. His brutality, his adherence to the strictest legalist principles, the purposeful, unforgiving nature of his actions, his signature tyrannical atrocities that counterbalanced his greatness in gathering together a single Chinese nation were, of course, the burning of the books and the burying of the scholars and, and the massive construction works on the Great Wall, his palaces and his tomb and the conscription that came along with it. By the time this emperor breathed his last, he reigned barely 11 years, which was hardly enough time to finish all that he intended to do. So Qin Shi Huang dies in 210 BC. This is during the time of Hannibal and Carthage in the West. And by 206, it's curtains for the Qin. The last heir to the throne that Qin Shi Huang did not sit on long is killed. And Liu Bang, of course, goes on later and founds the Han Dynasty and reigns as Han Tzu. Of course, I'm getting ahead of myself. So from the 1st CHP episode, we know Qin Shi Huang reigns only a little more than a decade. The Qin starts to decay and fall apart in fast motion. Insurrections spring up everywhere, and the seething resentment against the dynasty and discontent throughout Qin dynasty China is almost universal. And of all these uprisings springing up everywhere, it's only natural that certain rebels would rise to the top and become more prominent than, you know, the next guy. Liu Bang was one of them. But besides Liu Bang, there were the men of the state of Chu, and most well-known, of course, being Xiang Yu. Let's spend a little time and focus on the state of Chu, Chu Guo. The state of Chu, which, if you overlaid it on top of a present-day map of China, it would be spread out across five provinces in central and south China. This includes Henan, Jiangsu, Hubei, Hunan, and Zhejiang. The Chu state is one of many fabled historic entities. They were all mostly born out of the feudal times of the Zhou dynasty. These states all grew at varying degrees relative to each other. And when the Zhou dynasty began to degrade, these feudal kings of all these states and micro-kingdoms rose up and fought each other. And by the time King Ying Zheng decisively vanquishes the six contenders for control of the whole of China, the Chu state among them, he establishes the Qin dynasty and sets himself up as Qin Shi Huang. So the state of Chu was a mighty power for centuries before they were done in by their powerful and disciplined neighbor to the west, the state of Qin. There were only three states left when Ying Zheng went in for the kill. There was Chu Yen and Qi. In 223 BC, the once all-powerful Chu military machine was destroyed after a long and protracted war of attrition. In the end, the highly disciplined and strict Qin army won out over the animist, Taoist, nature-loving people from Chu. One of the special things about the people of Chu State was that they were in the middle of China geographically, straddling both sides of the Yangtze. Just by pure geographical coincidence, they received the best that traditional northern China had to offer in the way of culture, politics, government. And to mix with this, the best that the southern parts of China had to offer also made its way into true state. And here in this melting pot, you had a mixture of north and south. And much later, this North China-South China mixture spread out more evenly to other parts of the Middle Kingdom, and what ultimately developed uh, is this Chinese culture we all know and love. So for a time, it was the people of this Chu state who had that something special about them, that nice blend of North and South China. Right around this time, just before the Qin defeated the Chu, This would be towards the end of the Warring States period. You had the Songs of Chu, the Chu Zi, one of the great works of ancient times that somehow managed to survive to present day. It's one of the great classical literary works and is composed of poems, many by Chu Yuan himself. You see, Chu Yuan kept telling his king, King Huai, to beware of the Qin and to do something to prepare for the onslaught that was sure to come. Chu Yuan, a great poet and loyal, upright court official, his advice wasn't heeded. Instead, he saw his king wallow in luxury and living a corrupt life, seeing the futility of trying to warn about something that was such a clear and present danger. Chu Yuan delivers one last warning to the king to pay attention. And in 278 BC, he throws himself into the Mi Jiang, the Milo River in present-day Hunan, near, near Dongting Lake. And from this act, we get the Dragon Boat Festival, which honors this great poet and model Chinese official. Chu never recovers, and they're swept away, like I said, in 223 BC, 55 years after Chu Yuan warned what would happen. And Xin Shi Huang was determined to eradicate All traces of these kingdoms for the sake of molding one single unified China. The brutal measures he took to do this have become part of his legacy. But with Qin Shi Huang now gone so soon, the sun comes out once again and the people of Chu begin to rise up and seek revenge against these brutal Qin oppressors. Qin Shi Huang might be dead, but the dynasty he founded needed to be pulled up by the roots. And it is in this context that our hero today, Xiang Yu, is born and plays a major role in shaping the history. The name of the game at the time of the defeat of the last remnants of the Qin was to grab whatever legitimacy one could from the defeated emperor's court. Then, once this was done, whoever was going for all the marbles had to defeat all rival contenders for the throne of the emperor of China. And like I said, in the end, it all came down to two. Let's look at Xiang Hu and maybe look at him as a kind of a case study of the times. Sometimes by looking at the life of one person, you can get, uh, you know, even in a small way, a sense of the specialness of China, at least at that amazing time in its history. This time period and the Chu Han contention in particular, this is one of those time periods in Chinese history that leaves a deep impression because of the size and epic nature of some of the battles, the heroism and the daring of the principal generals. These eight years in Chinese history, from 210 BC to 202 BC, they were like the cartilage between the two bones of the dying Qin and the emerging Han dynasty. Now this story, well, sort of been folded into the whole greater story of how Liu Bang came from, you know, most humble beginnings, and went on to found the Han Dynasty. The blinding light of that whole great story sort of drowns out the achievement of his most formidable rival, Xiang Yu. I thought to make this potentially more interesting, I'd borrow heavily from the latest edition to my ever-expanding China History podcast resource library. I bought first, by mistake, Sima Qian's records of the Grand Historian. I thought I was getting some all in one edition, but it was only the records of the Qin Dynasty. So I espied on Google Books Sima Qian's whole tale of Xiangyu, but, you know, Google Books, preview only, and you know how it is. Google Books gets to the best part, you know, and then it will say, you know, pages 188 to 275, not available, or something like that. So I went back on Amazon and bought the correct book this time, covering the Han Dynasty Part 1. And please allow me to wade through all the massive detail Sima Qian is famous for. I'll just pick out the orchids among the flowers passed down to us by China's most illustrious historian. Now, Chu State was a big area extending from Sichuan into Hubei, right into the very heart of China's heartland. Xiang Yu came from the western part. He was born in what is now present-day Suqian in Jiangsu province. And I kid you not, the outfit I work for has a manufacturing facility there in Suqian. He was born in 232 BC, the year Ashoka the Great of India died. As Xiang Yu is born into this world, the Silk Roads are in their embryonic stage, and it's still 94 years to go yet before Zhang Qian ignites the whole Silk Road thing so we're still deep in the bedrock of ancient China when Xiang Yu is born. His grandfather was Xiang Yan. He was a loyal, Chu state general who went down fighting against the Qin in 223 BC, two years before Qin Shi Huang unified China. Our story begins on a washed-out road in Anhui, where an obscure Qin soldier is marching with his men to the northern border of the kingdom. The weather has forced them to fall hopelessly behind in their mission to report for guard duty up north by a certain date. He thereupon makes the fateful decision that since the penalty for dereliction of duty in his case was death, he would abandon his task, and together with other disgruntled and like-minded men that he led, he would rise up and rebel against his officers and against the tyrannical Qin rulers and their enablers. This soldier, Chen Shi rises up with his band of rebels. Together with his partner in this enterprise, Wu Guang, he attacks and often kills any and all Qin officials they encounter and seize territory wherever they go. Their ranks swell quickly as there were no shortage of sympathizers, and this motley band of rebels soon turns into a formidable army. And similarly, all over the place, people were spontaneously rising up against the shock and awe of the past decade living under Qin Shi Huang's brutal regime. It didn't take much to get people to rise up, especially once they knew he was dead. So Chen She leads these rebels with the ultimate aim of restoring the Chu to its former glory. It all starts with the Da Zi Xiang Qi Yi, the Da Zi Village Uprising, 209 B.C., This is during the reign of the second Qin Emperor who mounted the throne under dubious circumstances with the assistance of some very unsavory characters, and we discuss these guys in CHP number one. Xiang Yu is now 23 going on 24. Chen Shi's uprising is the spark that brought down the Qin. Though Chen Shi died early on, the men he put in place were the ones who finished off the Qin, the old state of Chu was re-established, and this set the precedent for all the old powerhouse states left over from the Zhou dynasty to again coalesce into their former shape. Filling the vacuum of power and the greatest threat to the dying Qin dynasty was Xiang Yu. Chen She was a commoner. Xiang Yu was military royalty thanks to his grandfather's defense of the Chu State when Qin Shi Huang's general, Wang Jian, conquered the place and brought it under Qin control. The Xiang family were well known in the Chu State, and the people there turned to them as their great hope. Xiang Yu was known among the populace for his great size, well over six feet tall, and for his legendary strength. But even more well known was his uncle, the younger brother of his father. This was Xiang Liang. When Xiang Yu's father died, it fell to Xiang Liang to take care of the young son, Xiang Yu. This was a task that Xiang Liang took seriously, but found after time that Xiang Yu was neither good at learning nor good at swordsmanship, the two main skills of a nobleman back in the day. But Xiang Liang soon learned that Xiang Yu's passion didn't lie in individual swordsmanship. The young man scoffed at this, saying killing one man was hardly of interest to him. He wanted to know how to defeat 10,000 men, and Xiang Liang was impressed. Thus began Xiang Yu's education in military strategy. Remember, Sun Zi lived almost 300 years before Xiang Yu, from 544 to 496 BC. So his art of war, Sun Zi Bingfa, was the main guide to military strategy. As the legend goes, Xiang Liang killed someone in his hometown in the state of Chu, and for this, he had to flee to escape arrest and the vengeance of the slain man's family. He took his family, including Xiang Yu, with him to the state of Wu, which was to the east of Jiangsu. There, the good people of Wu rallied around this famous Xiang Liang, son of Xiang Yan. He was Quickly set up as a headman in Wu, and he officiated at various functions. And he slowly began to gather a band of men who would form the core of a new fighting force that he would one day lead against the Qin dynasty forces. As the story goes, one day Qin Shi Huang and his whole entourage were passing through the town, and Xiang Liang and Xiang Yu go to you know check out the scene. And there, the young Xiang Yu takes one look at the emperor. In his retinue, and says to his uncle, "This fellow could be deposed and replaced." Xiang Liang is, is shocked to hear such bold words coming out of his more or less good-for-nothing nephew. But from that point on, he secretly sees in Xiang Yu the making of a great warrior. Well, by 209 BC, Xiang Yu and Uncle Xiang Liang are still in Wu. Qin Shi Huang is dead, and Qin Er Shi. Is reigning after all the skullduggery following his father's demise. The Da Zi uprising has shaken the Qin to its core, but the dynasty hasn't been delivered the death knell yet. Xiang Liang and Xiang Yu plot to seize power in Wu. They kill the governor, and after a bit of good old tried and true intimidation, the army comes to their side, and now they are a force to reckon with. Xiang Liang had been lying low in Wu all this time, slowly gathering a hardcore fighting force loyal to him alone. So his army wasn't just an ordinary army. These weren't raw recruits, you know, conscripted right off the farm. Once the Qin forces put down Chan Shu and his rebel army after the Dazi uprising, it fell to Xiang Liang and his 70,000 soldiers to be the Last line of defense against the Qin forces and their ever victorious general Zhang Han. During this time, Xiang Liang sets up a former prince from the Chu royal family as the new king of Chu. In this act, Xiang Yu later on will control the state of affairs through this puppet king, and later Xiang Yu himself will become the king of Chu, and in his final act, he will declare himself the ba Wang or hegemon, who controlled multiple states beyond Chu's borders, and these less powerful allies will acknowledge Xiangyu as their dictator, sort of. You know, this time period in the various dramatic series that it spawned in the 20th and 21st centuries is one of the staples on Mandarin TV. It was a very concentrated four years of battles, Oaths, famous things people said or that were attributed to them that are remembered today. These really were exciting times and so incredibly crucial to how China might later develop. So much was at stake. One man, Qin Shi Huang, had conquered all these kingdoms and states of you know what was China at the time. Through the force of his will, he deconstructs anything that had anything to do with the disunity of the lands of the new Qin Empire that one day would be known throughout the world as China. But this guy up and died so quickly. He got everything all set up, established all the precedents, set up the government system, and had ministers that had created an an administrative framework that would last for 2,000 years. And once everything is totally set up, he up and dies, and now all this that he had created, it was sitting there, waiting to be had. It was well known that as soon as the first emperor died, the whole imperial court became utterly dysfunctional and had clearly lost heaven's favor. Xiang Liang's army went all over, engaging the Qin forces in battles, winning more than losing, and he became a little too overconfident as it seemed the Qin were... Soon going down for the count. Pride comes before a fall, and sure enough, Xiang Liang is defeated by the Qin forces led by Zhang Han at Dingtao. He dies in battle, and now Xiang Yu is the main Xiang now. Zhang Han believes, having kicked some ass in the rebel Chu state, that things were okay there. So he heads for the state of Zhao, which, like Chu and other former kingdoms, was trying to shake off the Qin yoke and restore the kingdom to its pre-Qin glory. They dug in their heels at a place called Zhulu, located in present-day Hebei, and there the Zhao forces faced certain defeat at the more powerful forces of Qin, led by their great and masterful general Zhang Han. Meanwhile, over on the Chu side, Xiang Yu is only one of several elite generals, and as they all argue over strategy, Xiang Yu kills his rivals and grabs power over the whole army. He becomes the supreme commander over all the various lands within Chu state, and these armies are now under his control. Now, Xiang Yu begins to plan his attack on the forces led by Zhang Han. They clash at the Battle of Julu, and it's here, for the most part, that the Qin military was crushed with losses of over 100,000 men. But a secret alliance is struck in 207 BC, and Zhang Han is convinced to defect to Xiang Yu's side, which is what he does. Xiang Yu and Zhang Han join forces, and Zhang places himself below Xiang Yu. But after much whispering and fulmination between Xiang Yu and his most trusted generals, it's decided that while Zhang Han can be trusted, the same can't be said of his army. So one night, the Chu army turned on the recently defected Qin army and totally annihilates them. There's a story that of the 200,000 men captured or who had surrendered, many were ruthlessly buried alive rather than taken prisoner. And Xiang Yu did this as an act of vengeance for the death of his uncle Xiang Liang at the hands of this army. And once this is done, Xiang Yu leads his men against the last vestiges of the once unbeatable Qin military machine. It was time now to go in for the kill. The place to do this was in the land of Guangzhong, considered the heartland of the Qin. This includes the area around Shanxi near the, near the Qin capital. But what Suddenly, with Xiang Yu so close to fulfilling his destiny, a rival emerges that not only steals his glory, but presents himself as a formidable military foe who, sooner or later, must be dealt with. This is none other than the governor of Pei, Liu Bang. He too is eyeing Guanzhong and is determined to get there before Xiang Yu does. After all, the king of Chu had said, whoever gets there first will be made king of Guanzhong." Liu Bang was a soldier who had fought for the Chu state under Xiang Liang. When Xiang Liang was killed at the Battle of Dingtao, Liu Bang was made a Marquis by the Chu King and was commanded to deal with the Qin just as Xiang Yu was doing. So while Xiang Yu was cutting the Qin down to nothing, Liu Bang was out there acquiring a name for himself too, doing the same thing. Before Xiang Yu can deliver the death punch, Liu Bang and his army go and steal his thunder, and they arrive at the Qin capital, Xianyang, right near modern-day Xi'an, and they capture the place. This was quite a bold move. According to the established way of doing things, since at the time Liu Bang was subordinate to Xiangyu in military rank, he should have waited for his boss to arrive. But Liu Bang boldly rushed in and took the city for himself. Was it for his own benefit and future glory? Or did he take it with the intention of holding it until Xiang Yu got there? Whatever the truth was, Liu Bang's act definitely did a lot to stoke the fires of this growing rivalry. After taking Xianyang, Liu Bang is famously merciful to the inhabitants and to the last surviving heir to the Qin throne, a young boy named Ziying. He had been the Qin Emperor for less than three months. He was controlled by one of the great evil rogues of Chinese history, the regent Zhao Gao. We mentioned him in the Qin Shi Huang episode. So Liu Bang consolidates his power in Xianyang, and the people rejoice in his bringing a measure of stability to the city after so much recent chaos with all the civil strife. Xiang Yu was furious at this. How Dear this upstart, his subordinate, do such a thing. Liu Bang had before been merely a commoner of no repute, but like Caesar, who heaven would naturally favor more than a century later, heaven also naturally favored Liu Bang, and it pained Xiang Yu to see someone the likes of Liu Bang making him look bad. So he plotted to kill Liu Bang now, technically, they were both on the same side, and both paid fealty to the Chu king. But behind the scenes, everyone knew these two were shaping up to become the two main power centers in this new post-Qin world. Xiang Yu gets as far as the Xi River outside Xianyang, and of course, there's a confrontation between the two sides. But Liu Bang was no dummy. He was unevenly matched with his 100,000 troops facing off against Xiang Yu's 400,000 troops. Liu Bang had to play this one carefully and explore all options. Xiang Yu's trusted uncle Xiang Bo, through his relationships, was able to arrange a meeting between Liu Bang and Xiang Yu to try and see if there was some way to settle the rivalry and come to some amicable agreement on how to perhaps you know, divide up China and coexist. Liu Bang agrees to the meeting and with a hundred men, including his trusted Marquis of Liu, Zhang Liang, not to be confused with Xiang Yu's uncle, Xiang Liang, he meets Xiang Yu in his impressive tent at Hongmen. There, in the highly ritualized way that they did things back then, Xiang Yu threw this great feast for Liu Bang. There was wine flowing and much merriment, but despite all that, Everyone was tense, and with the way Xiang Yu's men were acting, Liu Bang and his men sensed a belligerence that seemed likely to lead to a confrontation, perhaps at any moment. So Liu Bang excuses himself to go handle a call of nature, and he walks away with uh, Zhang Liang, and they get out of air shot, and they, you know, both agree this conversation is degrading too fast, and if he sticks around, he's toast. So they agree to split up. Zhang Liang will stay behind and make excuses. Liu Bang says he's going to go disappear into the night and try and meet up with his forces. So after Liu Bang had enough time to gallop away and put some distance between himself and Xiang Yu's camp, Zhang Liang goes back to the party and mentions casually that Liu Bang is taken off. He had feared that he had angered Xiang Yu and thought it was best to leave. But, you know, he left these gifts, and Zhang Liang presents Xiang Yu with some jade discs and other ornaments. Xiang Yu and his men, despite Zhang Liang's diplomacy and the gifts, know immediately that Liu Bang has slipped away from their hands, and they are outraged. So at least now it was all out in the open. Now everyone knew where everyone stood. There was going to be no easy way out of this. One of them must fall. So, with Liu Bang out of the way, Xiang Yu leads his troops into the former Qin capital of Xianyang and just sacks the place. Kills the inhabitants, and when he finds the third Qin emperor, who had already abdicated and totally swore off any claim to the throne, he killed him, too. Xiang Yu's men set fire to the Qin palaces so that it was said the place burned for three months. Xiang Yu's men then tell their lord that he should build his new kingdom right here on the ruins of the Qin capital. But Xiang Yu says it must be located in the state of Chu. Xiang Yu exclaims, To become rich and famous and then not go back to your hometown is like putting on an embroidered coat and going out walking in the night. Who is to know about it? Xiang Yu then uses the powers vested in him to make the Chu King Huai the righteous emperor, and in all the Conquered Qin lands, Xiang Yu sets all his most loyal generals up with fiefdoms. You know, this is how they did it back in those days. Now, you know how it is in ancient Chinese culture. Appearances were very important. Regardless of the actual situation, certain etiquette had to be paid attention to. And according to the alliances previously made and the way everything was initially set up, Liu Bang was still part of Chu and worked under the Chu emperor. So he too, in 206 BC, had to get his little fiefdom for all the hard work and for his contribution in overthrowing the Qin. The prevailing idea was to get this guy as far away from possible where he wouldn't be able to do too much harm. So they gave Liu Bang the area that ran from Shanxi to Sichuan, and he was called the King of Han. His capital was at Nanzheng in the southernmost Shanxi, right on the northern border with Sichuan. He was also given the states of Ba and Shu in Sichuan. This sort of seemed like a booby prize, but the part of Sichuan that isn't mountainous was agriculturally lush, and these grain fields of Sichuan would later keep Liu Bang and his army well-fed throughout the campaign of what became known as the Chu Han Contention. The Chu Han Xiangzheng and if you notice in the annals of ancient Chinese history, the Han Dynasty officially begins at this time in 206 BC when the Han Kingdom was established. Liu Bang hadn't yet set himself up as the first emperor, who we know as Han Gaozu. That would follow after four more years of slogging it out with Xiang Yu. The dynasty got its name from this kingdom of Han that Liu Bang was handed by the Chu Emperor Huai. So, once the spoils of the chain have been divvied up, both sides begin to plot against each other. And so the chess match begins. And as I mentioned in that previous Han Dynasty episode, China, the Chinese chessboard is divided up into the Chu part and the Han part. Chu is the white side and Han is black. Chu he Han jie. By the spring of 205 BC, Liu Bang has 560,000 men under his command, and he sees Xiang Yu has his hands full, fighting up in Shandong against the state of Qi. He thereupon invades Chu lands and begins to inflict some damage. Word gets to Xiang Yu that Liu Bang is marching on the capital, and he rushes back with only 30,000 elite troops. But before he can get back in time, Liu Bang captures the Chu capital of Pengcheng, which is present-day Xu Liu Bang then helps himself to as much treasure and loot as he can get. and His soldiers all get to enjoy, you know, whatever Chu women they could get their hands on, and everyone just feasted big time. Then Xiang Yu arrives back in the capital and launches a daring counterattack and pushes them out of Pengchang. This was a masterful victory and a great defeat for Liu Bang. At this point, not only did his prestige take a hit, a lot of his men deserted him as his star suddenly seemed to be dimming. Xiang Yu just seemed invincible. Armchair military strategists later on would point to this battle of Pengchang where Xiang Yu showed his great genius as a strategist and deserves to be ranked among China's greatest. The Han army was now in full retreat, and Xiang Yu's Chu forces were chasing them all over. Finally, Xiang Yu pens Liu Bang's army in and is able to surround him on three sides, with the fourth side being the Sui River in Lingbi, near the Anhui Jiangsu border. Not too far, actually, from Xiang Yu's birthplace in Suqian. Just as the kamikaze divine winds would do in Japan 1,069 years later, a huge Wind kicks up and creates this dust storm that led to conditions that threw everything into confusion. And Liu Bang uses this natural phenomenon to escape from certain defeat against Xiang Yu's surrounding forces. Xiang Yu's army is hot on Liu Bang's trail, but as they chase him down, they chance upon Liu Bang's family, and they become captives of Xiang Yu. Liu Bang uses his wiles to create dissension in the Chu ranks and creates a ruse that led Xiang Yu to suspect his most trusted general, Fan Zeng. Xiang Yu's onslaught appears unstoppable, and Liu Bang once again has to make another getaway to live to fight another day. In 203 BC, though, after a stalemate had set in that allowed Liu Bang to regain his lost strength, the King of Han built up his army, and more recruits came flooding into his camp. Xiang Yu was busy in the meantime, fighting battles constantly, mostly in the east. The build-up to the crescendo was coming, and everyone knew it. Sooner or later, there would be a major showdown between Chu and Han. Liu Bang and Xiang Yu throughout this time are in communication via their various envoys. Liu Bang's army is fully replenished from the riches of Sichuan, Xiang Yu's army is battle wary and not very well fed. Xiang Yu, in anger, challenges Liu Bang to settle everything in hand to hand combat, just them two. Liu Bang dismisses this and says Since I am no match for you in strength, I prefer to fight you with brains. Xiang Yu sends Chu soldiers one by one to threaten the Han position and call these Han men out to fight them one-on-one. On one. And the Han, they just shoot arrows at these guys and kill them. And this further enrages Xiang Yu, so he himself runs out and openly challenges any Han bowmen to shoot him. You know, and he's menacing and no one dares to make a move. Xiang Yu had this effect on the enemy. Finally, it got down to Liu Bang and Xiang Yu, just trading insults uh, at each other across a ravine. Finally, Xiang Yu takes out a concealed crossbow and fires on Liu Bang, wounding him and forcing him to retreat. Xiang Yu then went on the rampage against the lands, loyal to the King of Han. Liu Bang felt Xiang Yu was invincible and retreated rather than face him head on. When Liu Bang felt he was back up to battle strength, they went on the offensive and dealt a heavy defeat to Xiang Yu's general, Cao Jiu. In this battle, Liu Bang's army was able to escape with the wealth of the Chu Kingdom. Again, hearing of such a terrible defeat, Xiang Yu rushes back from where he was fighting to see his army too exhausted to go on. For several years, Xiang Yu had driven them hard and they had battled nonstop. All along, Xiang Yu is still holding Liu Bang's family. Liu Bang sends an envoy to bargain for his father, but Xiang Yu isn't listening. Finally, thanks to the skillful tongue of Liu Bang's advisor, Lord Ho, Xiang Yu proposes an alliance whereby the two sides divide up China along a north-south line between a canal that ran between the Huai and Yellow Rivers. Liu Bang would get the west and Xiang Yu the east. And so, China is thus divided up. So, in 202 BC, Xiang Yu turns back east to head back to his lands in Chu, looking forward to the massive homecoming and triumphant return as king. Liu Bang is advised by his two most trusted men, Zhang Liang and Chen Ping, that it's crazy to allow Xiang Yu to get away and live to fight another day. They saw he was weakened, and his soldiers were in no shape to fight. They advised Liu Bang to strike now, or maybe lose the chance forever. So Liu Bang agrees, and he pursues Xiang Yu to Yang Xia first. There, Liu Bang waits for his allies, Han Xin and Peng Yue, to show up, but they no-show. And Xiang Yu sees this, so he attacks first, and inflicts a huge loss on Liu Bang. The king of Han was able to make a deal with Han Xin and Peng Yuan, sweetens his offer, you know, if they come help him at uh, this time of need. So a deal is struck, and they lead their armies, and they all converge at a place in northern Anhui called Gaixia, And there at Gaixia, Xiang Yu had holed himself up in a walled camp. Although he had inflicted serious damage on Liu Bang, it was the last time. He was tired as were his troops. He knew this was the end. And so Xiang Yu, on this last night, he awoke in his tent, and drank some wine, and passed the time with his favorite concubine, Yu Ji, Lady Yu. She had accompanied Xiang Yu wherever he went, and wherever Xiang Yu went, to do battle or whatever, his trusty steed, Dapple, never left him, nor did his beloved Lady Yu. And like the Tang Emperor Shenzong, who had find himself in a similar situation when fate made him bid a final farewell to his beloved Yang Fei, Xiang Yu saying to Lady Yu the following lament, My strength plucked up the hills, my might shadowed the world, but the times were against me, and Dapple runs no more. When Dapple runs no more, what then can I do? Ah, Yu, my Yu, what will your fate be? He sang these lines to her over and over, and when they parted for the last time, Xiang Yu picked a group of 800 of his most loyal soldiers and prepared for one final stand against the King of Han's troops. He managed to break through to Liu Bang's camp and inflicted heavy damage. When he crossed the Huai, Xiang Yu was down to his last 800 men. and By the time he crossed the Yangtze, just west of Nanjing, his 800 had dwindled down to 100 men and soon he is overtaken by 5,000 of Liu Bang's troops. Xiang Yu escapes to Dongcheng, but now he's down to 28 men against several thousand. Xiang Yu knows it's curtains for him. He turns to his troops and says, "'It has been eight years since I first led my army forth. In that time, I have fought 70 battles. Every enemy I faced was destroyed. Everyone I attacked submitted.' Never once did I suffer a defeat until at last I became dictator of the world. But now, suddenly, I am driven to this desperate position. It is because heaven would destroy me, not because I have committed any fault in battle. I have resolved to die today. But before I die, I beg to fight bravely and win for you three victories. And so Xiang Yu went out in a blaze of glory. As he promised his men, he made three charges against Liu Bang's forces, and each time he got through, killing many soldiers, and came back a second and a third time to do the same. Finally, it was over. Xiang Yu, bloody, mortally wounded, stumbled up to a Han officer in Dongcheng and announced himself and said the immortal last words. I have heard that Han offered a reward of a thousand caddies of gold and a fief of ten thousand households for my life, so I will do you a favor. And with that, Xiang Yu reached for his dagger and cut his own throat and died right there. And then five men hacked his body apart so that they could all claim a piece and get their fiefdom and a thousand caddies of gold. Xiang Yu was buried in Gucheng in the state of Lu. At the time of his death, Yi was only 30 years old. Hard to believe, isn't it? Despite his short life, he is today considered one of China's greatest generals and showed all his stuff in the legendary Chu Han contention. Soon after this all went down, February 28, 202 BC, Liu Bang becomes the emperor who we know today as Han Gaozhu, the founder of China's great Han dynasty. And that, my friends, is going to be that. We all know what happens afterward. The Han Dynasty goes on to leave its magnificent mark in Chinese history. We'll come back again and again to look at stories from this legendary time in ancient Chinese history. This is Laszlo Montgomery signing off from the wonderful town of Irving, Texas. I'm here on a quick in-and-out mission for the company. Back to Claremont tomorrow. Take care, everyone, and I hope we'll see you next time for another exciting episode of the China History Podcast.